Season 4 of Chronicle sees us move into a different direction. Instead of me picking a theme or topic for you guys to transition through movie by movie within a particular subgenre of European horror cinema, I have opened the doors to fellow podcasters to come across, pick a film and share an experience on the show. Over this year, 2022, we will have several podcast hosts coming on to Chronicle with their picks. We're going to sit down, discuss the movies, and if there's any trivia or information in the background that adds a little bit of extra spice to the story, then you better believe that Chronicle is the sort of podcast that will deliver the goods for you. On this first episode, I'm joined by David Garrett Jr. He is picked And Soon the Darkness, a much lesser known title in the British horror slash thriller landscape, but one that is eerily ahead of its time, and one that is slowly starting to find an audience through boutique labels, bringing it to you on Blu-ray. So sit back, get ready, and enjoy this very first episode of Chronicle featuring a guest host. You're listening to Chronicle Podcast, an almanac of old world horrors. Ignition. T minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. Lift off. Exciting young people. Take Pamela Franklin in her first starring role. Take dynamic Shandor Ellis. Take newcomer Michelle Dotrice. Take France under a hot, bright sun. They'll do anything in Italy. Oh? What are we doing in France, then? Holiday's soon to go wrong. Why don't you go? Just go. Yes, I think I will. I think I'll do just that. Horribly wrong. <coughs> a little ride in sunny France with a killer stalking you. He's killed before. Why not again? Why not you? Speak the language. 
Savage. Mes femmes, mes femmes, toujours mes femmes. Who do you turn to for help? Who's asking for trouble? Alone on the road? And who can you trust? A little ride in sunny France. Oh no. Oh dear God, no. No one, positively no one, will be admitted during the last terrifying minutes of this film. And soon the darkness. See it. You will be very, very frightened. And welcome back. So, this is very exciting. This is the first time on Chronicle we are opening the doors to other voices out with myself. The idea behind this season is instead of me curating a list for you guys to go away and check with any particular subgenre, in season four what we're doing is we're inviting people on and they are picking a European horror movie and we are sitting down and discussing it on here. It gives me a great amount of privilege and pleasure to introduce the first guest on this show. He does a podcast called uh, Journey, it's Journey of the Cinephile. I keep wanting to say Journey with the Cinephile. No, that's actually it. Yep, it's actually Journey with a Cinephile. See, there we go. So yeah. I should always go <laughs> go with my gut is the, is, the, is the main rule here. I always fight against myself. I'm like, nah, you're doing it wrong. Don't do it that way. Uh, yes, Journey with the Cinephile. Joining me is the phenomenally talented David Garrett Jr. How's it going? Us uh, going well. Uh, how about yourself? I am well. We spoke about this off here. I am. Yeah. <laughs> I'm struck down with the cold, not the Rona. Before anyone, like I've told about six people today, I've got the cold, and their instinct is, uh, "You finally got the Rona," and I'm like, "No, I li- I'm a recluse. I live off the grid. I have met no one, so it is not the Rona." But they, they, you know. I think they're just projecting on me. I thought that they really wish me ill health. I don't know. It could <laughs> I, mean, be I hope it's that. not that. <laughs> so, well, that smug bastard there not getting anything. Um, I picked you for a number of different reasons. One we have done in the past, a couple of recordings. And on the back of that, I'm always like, I'm kind of picking the movies. I'm kind of pushing things forward. And I've said to you in the past... And we almost did it, actually. I said in the past, you know, you've got an invitation to the main feed podcast under the stairs to pick a movie of your choice at any time you want. We'll sit down and discuss it. And in fairness, I think you have suggested at least two and they've just never happened. So when this idea to extend out Chronicle to guests with their picks came up, I thought, you know what? This might be an interesting opportunity to put that to the test. Um, so here we are. Uh, you're the first guest you've picked a movie that I had not seen in years so I was actually so much so that I had this muddled up with a different title um, but I'd seen that one as well so it was fine everything was fine Uh, you've chosen for this episode and soon the darkness from 1970 now I'm assuming because the other one was an American remake this is the one we're doing and not the 2010 remake (laughs) Um, which fell in that weird time period of American remakes of movies where everything becomes hyper-violent. And mm-hmm. I never never quite worked out where that's come from, out with the fact that, you know, that's what modern, modern audiences want, question mark. Um, but yeah, you've chosen this uh, weird anomaly of, of kind of British thriller-slash-horror cinema, um, and I don't know how much that translates out with 
you know, the United Kingdom, because 1970 is not necessarily known for movies like this um, mm -hmm. from from this part of the world. Certainly was trending that way in America, but not necessarily here. So before we get into our conversation on And Soon the Darkness, uh, David, I thought we'd start the way that I'll be starting all these reviews by asking you a little bit about your interest in European horror cinema probably mostly caveat caveated rimmed the idea that one you're not european um right. <laughs> and and two um, america has almost at this point a monopoly on on horror uh, the the big highest grossing horror movies of every year going back now many 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 years and decades tend to be american they tend to be you know hollywood productions they tend not to be European, but that wasn't always the case. There was a, a significant time period there that was the other way around. So, uh, talk to me a little bit about it. Were you aware when you started getting into horror movies of the, the interesting world of European horror cinema, or was it something that over time you've grown to have an appreciation of through watching mostly American horror movies? Um, for me, actually, it's growing up my dad was a huge like zombie fan so mm. really my only introductions to kind of european horror was through italy because my dad had randomly picked up like demons one and two on vhs oh, wow right yeah he was a huge like zombie fan so we had um zombie of course was yeah. one that was a staple growing up but i mean outside of that i don't really think i knew a whole lot about it until kind of like college yeah. where then i started to kind of branch out more and would see stuff like you know, Cannibal Holocaust. And that's where I really started to get into like Argento mm -hmm. and then even more into like Fulci and everything like that. And then it's kind of as I got into podcasts more and started to kind of look into the history of cinema that I started to branch out to more of movies like this one here. Yeah. So, so predominantly, like I, I would argue, like a lot of people that got into European horror cinema that aren't British, your introduction is through the, mostly the Italian run of movies in the 70s and 80s. Mm -hmm. Yep. Ah, very, very interesting. Um, I, I mean, I dare say you would you would have come across like a Hammer horror movie. I think that's like like everyone's introduction at some point to British horror cinema seems to be Hammer horror. Um, mm -hmm. It's because it's campy, it's over the top. Christopher Lee is like a pop yeah. icon, um, and there's so many of them. <laughs> like there's just so many Hammer horror movies. Uh, you picked this movie, which I'm like, I'm so curious to the thought process to this one because like I said mm -hmm. came out in 1970 this is maybe the tail end of the the kind of massive push of Hammer doing uh, ostensibly kind of universal classic monsters like, like right. your, your Draculas and your Frankensteins and stuff but um, there was still quite a bit of that left you know we were still you know that, that was still predominantly between uh, Hammer and Amicus those were the two big kind of long-standing institutions of British horror. And you've went with the uh, And Soon the Darkness. Um, when did you come across this movie? Uh, this one, I believe my mother had seen it or something along those lines. Because right after, it was actually right around the time that I was getting into the, all the Hammer stuff. Is yeah. She had recommended this movie to me. Mm. And then I remember one night sitting down and watching this and... 
at the end of it, I was like, I don't necessarily know, or like, I guess more in like the middle of it, I was like, I didn't necessarily know if this was going to be like a horror movie or not that first time around. Yeah. And this is one that by the end of it, though, it just kind of had stuck with me. And I probably, much like you, I hadn't seen this one in a long time, but it's one of those ones that anytime I'm looking at like a list of movies that I've made, this one is usually kind of not near the top per se, but is one of those ones that I just look at and I'm like, man, that was a good movie. I do need to go back to seeing it again. Yeah. yeah. And then when, you know, this whole thing came up, I was like, oh, this would be a chance where I can revisit that. And I just think there's some interesting stuff with how this movie is made that kind of just stuck with me. Yeah, this one is, um, give a bit of background on this. I remember seeing this and I want to say this would have played on TV when I was a kid, um, showing my age. Um <laughs> that like i i distinctly remember seeing it i've seen it since so i know for a fact that i'd seen this on vhs so after the fact um and remember it being like you say it's kind of it's kind of a weird anomaly it's like one of those movies where you could imagine like people posting like on a facebook group page you know i saw this movie as a kid can't remember the name mm -hmm. of it but there's two girls biking through france and one of them goes missing help internet um it's, it's one of those ones in that even to this viewing i remembered the setup i remembered you know essentially one of the characters would die i could not remember who the killer was i just could remember who the killer wasn't um so i knew that the the main red herring of this movie wasn't mm -hmm. the killer but I, for the life of me, I could not remember until the viewing today, actually. I sat down and watched this today. It's got a, a beautiful Blu-ray release in the UK through Studio Canal. I believe Kino put this one out in the States on Blu-ray, okay. and I'm, I'm hearing great things about that. I, I would also imagine they're from the same restoration. That's kind of how Studio Canal works. They'll license it out to different, you know, different distributors around the world, depending on who has licensing rights but yeah i mean this is another one of these movies that the restoration on it because it was filmed so beautifully the restoration is incredible um mm -hmm. but there's an interesting collective of people behind this one um which is part of the exciting thing about your pick here is that the, the kind of ongoing theme of chronicle is that yeah it's european horror movies but we tend to try and pick movies where there's some sort of story in the background of some description. And this one has an interesting one. This one is uh, kind of co-written by Brian Clemens and a guy called Terry Nation. Um, Brian Clemens has a relatively interesting career in kind of writing thrillers. Um, he, he and Robert Fuse, the director, had worked previously together on a kind of long-running tv show called the avengers now that's not the marvel's avengers just to stress <laughs> that there they weren't doing stuff back in their day um but yeah he was um he, he comes from that background so he basically wrote a lot of that stuff it's how he got he's kind of claimed to fame but he also worked on a kind of a, a kind of I was going to say long-standing. It, it did run for several years and several seasons. But he also worked on a TV show called Thriller in the UK, and um, Thriller basically was uh, like an anthology standalone episodes, but they were all kind of small contained stories of deception and uh, you know and, and murder and and all the rest. Um, 
and he you know he, he essentially went on to do that after doing this movie he also directed um and wrote a little movie called captain chronos vampire hunter <laughs> which i fucking love so and i i, I can't imagine he spends a lot of time um bigging up this but uh he did write uh highlander um 2 the quickening and the very first episode of the highlander tv show as well so the guy like has been about he's like his last um his last credit according to imdb is a movie or a play that's in pre-production called on the edge of darkness which is currently happening so he's still a moving and a shaking the director here though this is where it gets exciting the director after this movie would go on and do the abominable dr fibes parts one and two um which could not be any more different to this movie if it fucking tried (laughs) (laughs) big campy over the top vincent price with saw like death traps um isn't necessarily in the same kind of subtlety as and soon the darkness um so like really really interesting like stuff behind that uh, in terms of the casting you've got pamela franklin who herself was on the is she and i think she's in the haunting of hill house i think i may have just made that up um and michelle dotrice are the main two characters here jane and kathy uh, both british actresses who have had relatively good careers uh, pamela franklin did a lot of kind of horror stuff um without necessarily doing a high profile horror and michelle dotrice uh, did a lot of stage work, she did a lot of stuff on the stage, um, and then there's a, a collection, a smattering, if you will, of of French folk um, in here as well. Um, the synopsis for this one is listed on IMDb as two young English women go on a cycling tour of the French countryside. When one of them goes missing, the other one begins to search for her, but who can she trust? And that's the main kind of crux of this movie is and it's what's interesting about this is it's uh we talked about the 2010 remake that was a big theme through the you know the kind of 2000 2005 onward kind of post hostel of mm-hmm. you are a, an american in this case you're an american abroad something bad happens who are you going to turn to because uh, you know you're american and they all speak weird foreign languages <laughs> Um, and they don't much like America for whatever reason and now you're fucked um, in the case of this one because it's a British movie um, who naturally picked France well, that's weird so I, I ingrained distrust of the French in England <laughs> I'm not entirely sure what it is not in Scotland uh, we have the thing called the Old Alliance which goes back several several hundred years but in England it's always like those French over there being French um, so yeah, it's uh, two women on a biking trip, um, which I think people still do. I think still pe- people go on like cycling holidays in France and why not? Because it's a beautiful country. Um, essentially, they will have a minor fallout. One of them will stay behind while the other will go on to the next stop, and then her friend goes missing, and she is trying to unravel the mystery of what happened to her friend meanwhile she's being introduced to lots of different characters who may be bad people question mark um and at the same time as well being filled in about this story that has happened in the region which is scarily 
reminiscent of essentially what our main character Jane is going through right now. Um, so you said you hadn't seen it in a while. Uh, you sat yes. down to watch it this time. Um, cinematography being as beautiful as aside, uh, how did you get on with Ants in the Darkness? Um, it actually held up very well from that first viewing and everything. Because like you said, I mean, the cinematography is amazing. I noticed that. I think it's one of the first notes that I actually put down when I was watching this. It's just how, like, not only beautiful, but... They even give you such a, like a desolate feel, yeah. even from yeah. those like opening scenes and everything like that. Just seeing how there's all this wide open space. And I mean, I'm from like the Midwest in the United States. So this eerily looks like where I grew up, where <laughs> you would just have fields, especially when everything has been like cultivated. So there's literally just like you can see for miles and everything like that. Mm. So that was one of the things that really kind of struck me. And another thing is actually probably like five or six years ago, I went to Europe with a couple of friends. Mm -hmm. And for me, I actually went on to Barcelona by myself and I actually don't really speak Spanish. So watching it this time around is kind of funny because I kind of felt like these characters where I don't really know the language of the country that I'm in and yeah. trying to kind of make my way while I'm a tourist. Yeah, yeah, there's a, <clears throat> I uh, once, like many, many, many moons ago, uh, back when I was doing the band thing and being a musician and all the rest, um, got invited to audition for a signed band um, mm -hmm. over in the the city of Aarhus in Denmark. Denmark's just across. It's, it's not. It's not far from from Scotland. It's just essentially a small ride over the North Sea, and you're there. Um, mm -hmm. But I'd never been to Denmark before, and uh, I was only it was like I, I was arriving. I had an hour and a half to do my audition. Um, there was only I think there was only one flight a day to Aarhus because it's tiny. The airport you landed in was in a field. Um, no, no shade being thrown to Aarhus, but you know it was a bit of a shithole if I'm honest. And um, this is where this band was from, and I essentially had to spend, I had to stay overnight. My plan wasn't to stay anywhere because I was, you know, I wasn't well off. Um, yeah. And Denmark is not a cheap country. It's Scandinavian, which means it costs money. So the plan was to go do my audition, essentially go back to the airport, sleep overnight in the airport and uh, get my, my returning flight the following day back and everything was going to be okay. And then um, arrived, auditioned with the band, they were not happy with the fact that I was uh, going to be sleeping overnight in, a, in, in an airport and they suggested to me uh, a local hostel that I could stay at. And uh, uh, this is, trying to think, hostel would have been out by now. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, you, you don't think it that way. Plus, like, the Danish are lovely people anyway. So I thought, mm -hmm. this is cool. And what they'd said to me was, essentially, there's a, and there is a point to this story, um, that the guy who had auditioned for the band previous to my auditioning was German and he was also staying at said hostel. That's how they knew where it was. And it was really cheap. It was only, you know, it was like, it was like t the equivalent of like 10 pounds for the night. Uh, it was okay. a bed you had to share in a room with like 20 people or something. Um, mm -hmm. I was like, cool, yeah, like we'll, we'll go to there. And um, I, you know, walk into this hostel. Uh, they barely speak English. Uh, <laughs> pay my money for my bed, go and sit in the rec room. It's all really awkward. 
Uh, everyone's kind of looking at each other, no one's talking, and then what I can only describe as one of the scariest looking motherfuckers I've ever seen in my entire <laughs> life was staring at me from the other side of the room. And I was like, oh no, this is just bad news. And um, after about five minutes, he gets up, beer bottle in hand, and starts walking towards me. And I'm like, oh, fuck, what have I done? What have I done? Did I look at him the wrong way when I come in? Have I said, is there something about my appearance that offends him? Uh, and he was huge. He was like 6'5 or something. Comes like walking across and um, looks down at me in this very gruff accent. He's like, uh, yeah. are you from Scotland? And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm from Scotland. And he's like, uh, why are you here? And I was like, yeah, um, I, I was uh, auditioning for a band. And he was like, Hate Sphere, which was the name of the band. And I was like, yep. And he was like, me too. My name is like Gerhard. And I was like, all right. <laughs> and he hugged me. And I didn't ask for the hug. Um, and then he proceeded to buy me beer all night, uh, which was very, very, very nice of him. Uh, but that initial, I don't know what's going to happen here. Like, I don't think it's a weird thing to articulate as a feeling but it's something that universally... I think this is one of the reasons this movie works so well. It's universally something we can, we've all experienced at some point in our life. Mm -hmm. Like, you watch a haunting movie with a ghost, right? Unless you believe in ghosts, yeah, you're going to get a jump scare here or there. But it's not like... Like, when I switch like off watching even the scariest haunting movie, I'm not looking around the room for ghosts. Because right. I don't believe in ghosts. So, to me, that has zero effect but the idea of being in a place that you probably shouldn't be or very acutely aware of your surroundings and maybe not being in a position where you can communicate in a way where you'd be comfortable that you wouldn't upset offend or create an altercation is something that everyone will have experienced even in your own country i've been to small villages in scotland and you go into the local bar and it's like something from the wild west where the piano player stops and everyone looks at you and you're like, oh shit. Um, so like, it's, it's a universal just something that I think everyone understands. And a, a movie kind of... Even like, like the, the... This movie not being the first movie to do that, but essentially weirdly being slightly ahead of the curve on this one when you consider how the 70s play it with horror like movies like straw dogs come after this movies like i spit in your grave if we're looking at the american side of the equation you've got certainly things like texas chainsaw massacre you know there's a ton of these movies of people within their own country just going to the wrong place and stumbling across the wrong people and then before you know it you're fucked and um i think this movie does that incredibly well like you are at you're at jane eye level all the way through this movie and certainly the version that i watched here doesn't have subtitles for the french that's spoken um so like when they're speaking you don't quite understand what they're saying so it's like well and then you're like jane like you're trying to piece together and what they're saying there's a great scene in this where the the woman that owns a local shop slash tavern slash shithole in the middle of nowhere um you know she's trying to and what she's she's trying to articulate something to jane and it's like it it doesn't make any sense but she's getting frustrated trying to translate and then finally the words come out and it's along the the lines of bad road 
but and that's all she can say and that in itself is such a, what, what do you mean bad road do you mean it has potholes in it do you mean it's you know like what, like, what, what do you mean by like go like, the next 10 miles away what do you mean by bad road and then as the story unfolds in the movie you start to find out a little bit more about it so i, I love that that's just that's the it's kind of like your run-of-the-mill in a lot of respects your run-of-the-mill kind of who done it mystery, right? But the the kind of setup and the payoff here is that instead of being in a an old dark house on the hill, and Hercule Poirot will get to the bottom of this by questioning everyone, um, instead of that, like you legitimately don't know who to trust, and everyone comes across as slightly menacing because they're speaking a language that you don't understand. So. Uh, yeah, I think this, like, even just from a, an initial point, the cinematography looking as crisp and clean, and like you say, like, instantly you're like, oh, right, I, well, I don't like where we are. Like, as soon as they get out on the road, away from that cafe, it's like, yeah, I, I don't like this. But then, on top of that as well, there, the movie always comes back to this idea that Jane is completely helpless. Mm-hmm. You know, she's at the whim of whatever she's told by characters or her interactions or the fact that she just genuinely can't trust anyone like anything anyone says to her is as equally plausible as you know the next character so maybe her friend did hitchhike like the gendarme says later on um, and says to her you bet you didn't think of that and she's like well no I didn't think of that and I was sitting there thinking myself I didn't think of that Um, or you know the the you know the 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 private investigator, you know, the, the man from the Surte, uh, <laughs> who is basically saying to her, well, listen, maybe she cycled the other way. You know, maybe she went the wrong direction. That's plausible, isn't it? And all these things are plausible to her because she just doesn't know. All she knows is what her friend is kind of like. Um, so, yeah, cinematography's cool. Set up, really cool. Something we can all relate to. Um... You know what surprised me about this one? I really want your take on it. Is uh, you okay. mentioned it before about its kind of position as a horror movie by the halfway mark, particularly, <laughs> and it certainly is by the end. It's a full-on horror movie, but um, there isn't any real blood in this. <laughs> if you know what I mean, there's there's a scene later on where someone gets hammered with a rock, um, but this is a movie that is mostly designed and delivered on the uncomfortable interactions between Jane and the characters that she speaks with. Um, my memory, though, of this movie, very much like my like my memories of the first time that I saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre, is that this one was a bit of a bloodbath. Like, there was, there was like, like, when the body was discovered of Kathy later on, it was all, like, tore up and shit. And um, none of that in this movie. Were you coming into this movie having seen it before did you remember that or is this one of these ones where you're like yeah this one's this one's kind of it's a bit more gruesome than it actually is um for me actually i didn't know if we ever actually found her friend's body or not like i couldn't remember Uh, i knew i knew that like you were saying that the detective or like the special agent or whatever he's kind of is i knew that he wasn't actually involved but he just does things that were creepy yeah yeah. but like (laughs) I had it in my head from the last time that I saw it that we actually never figured out what happened to her friend and that it was one of those things where they kind of left it up more to the audience to be like, hey, you kind of have to figure out things. So I 
like I said, I knew that the one guy wasn't necessarily involved, but he just is suspect. And I actually did not remember about how much kind of the other people she interacts with, mm. how they're all kind of covering up that they know what happened, or at least they know more than what they're letting on. Yeah, they, uh, they know it's someone local, but I don't necessarily think they know who it is. If you know what I mean, like that, like right. everyone's kind of doing the. It's that like infamous gif from is it the good, the bad, and the ugly, where everyone's kind of <laughs> like doing the shifty side eye. Um, as every character's like that, they're all like immensely distrusting of each other because this is a small, small village. Someone right. goes missing there. There's a handful of people that live there. Chances are it's one of them, and no one really wants to pry much further than that. So. You have the, the, the aforementioned kind of store owner woman being kind of dubious towards the gendarme, but also being dubious to the, the old guy who, like, owns the scrapyard, um, mm -hmm. where she's just like, yeah, when, like, there's a scene where the, 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 the gendarme's there having wine, uh, doing a, a very Duncan thing where someone's pouring and you're just like, you put your finger on top of the bottle and keep pushing it down so they fill the glass, <laughs> as opposed to giving you half a glass, because half a glass to me is a waste. Um, fill that up. And um, <laughs> like uh, when the guy, the, when the older guy, the guy who we see having the altercation earlier on, is kind of cycling across the, the kind of field towards them, she's very kind of like kind of standing behind the policeman you know to you know it could be him with the you know there's so I, I think they're all aware that it likely is one of them and they mm -hmm. know that they aren't the killer but they don't know right. who might be and the best kind of indication of that is the the british woman that lives there that gives jane a ride who spells it basically this murder that happened a few years before it was a tourist very similar circumstances and all but says you know like if you read between the lines all but says well it's kind of your fault for being like attractive women and cycling into places you clearly shouldn't be um i'm old which means no one wants to murder me um but there's a part of like why are you here right about this you know like what like it's almost your fault for picking this as a destination if you weren't here no one would be murdered which i find such a you get that once again that's the kind of the much more uh poignant in a movie like texas chainsaw massacre where you you think yeah right leatherface i see it in the weird family but if no one goes past there I don't think they're travelling up to the next town to kidnap people. You know what I mean? It's, it's more yeah. a crime of opportunity than it is actually a premeditated crime of trying to, to find someone to kill. And you get that, the, the, the kind of pivot this movie towards these, well, and even at the very end, the, very, the, the last shot of this movie is essentially two girls... Uh, yep. cycling. Uh, so, like, the, 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 the evil circle continues... <laughs> Which I think I found very interesting as well. It's interesting you thought that, like, your memory was that they didn't find the body. And I actually think in a lot of respects that would make the movie, like, it would make it weirdly ahead of its time. Because you didn't generally get stuff like that then. But at the same time, like, how bleak an ending would that be? Oh, Real yeah, no, idea. for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I love that idea. Um, so let's talk about essentially uh, Kathy goes missing the the main red herring of this movie and let's be honest the the guy from the surte does nothing at all in this movie 
to aid the perception that he is a creepy, <laughs> creepy motherfucker. Um, right. The originally at the beginning of this movie are at a cafe. Cathy mm-hmm. looks across. She makes eyes with this Frenchman, um, and uh, she clearly attracted to him they go on their journey and this guy has like a moped and passes them about three or four times during their their, their kind of journey before settling at a cafe himself to have what looked like the most amazing lunch of <laughs> of wine bread and assortment of vegetables and cheese and i was jealous i'll be honest yeah. uh it's very 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 french and um Essentially, after Kathy and Jane have an argument, Kathy wants to sunbathe, she wants to hook up with men, she wants to be promiscuous, uh, which means she will die, obviously. Um, Jane goes on to the next town, Kathy is attacked or abducted by someone we don't see, uh, so we see it from her perspective, or through the killer's eyes more than anything. And then we get a very interesting story from, uh, from Paul, uh, the, the man from the Surte, who basically says that once a year, this is a, it's, it's so well done, once a year he comes back to vacation at this place because he had, he was here three years ago when the previous tourist uh, was murdered. And there's a kind of weird sick fa- fascination about him that he feels that if he keeps coming back every year he'll be able to crack the case. Um, uh, but if you are Jane... Um, this guy keeps coming back once a year, maybe to hunt women. Um, and he doesn't really do much to take that. I, th- I suppose the bit where you really think he's a bit more menacing than he is, out with the bit where he breaks into someone's house and starts chasing them, <laughs> uh, like a slasher killer, I suppose is the the film from the camera. Uh, yes. Kathy's camera's you know, recovered, the film is missing. She finds out that Paul has it. She asks to get it back. And then in the most dickhead move in this entire movie, uh, Paul unravels the film so she can't get it developed, maybe covering his tracks. Um, like myself, you said that you could remember that that Paul was not the killer. And that was the, the long-standing thing, was that the movie kind of leaned towards one guy being the killer. And it, it, it was not him, it was someone else. And I couldn't remember who that other one is. He's kind of a great character, though, because everything he's doing, up until the point where he clearly is a psycho, like, well, there's no way of getting around it, but up until that point, everything he's doing kind of makes sense. It's just a really eccentric, you know, mistrusting way of doing things. Um, right. I think that works. Like, to me, if he was too nice, I'd be like, well, he's definitely the killer. But the fact that he's so over the top, it kind of almost as the audience makes more sense that he's not, if you know what I mean. No, yeah, and I mean, and going along with that is kind of setting him up as the red herring in the beginning is yeah. at that first cafe, like, she takes a picture of him and he puts his sunglasses on, so when he takes that film out, the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, this guy has to be involved, and I mean, yeah. going along with how creepy that is, he's also trying to take her back to a junkyard, Yes, and it's like, <laughs> but he won't tell her what he's found, he's like, no, I gotta come show you something, I'm like, I bet you do, like, that's creepy, like, I wouldn't go back there with this guy. Of so course like, not. <laughs> so I get why you're like, this guy is up to something weird because he's not telling me anything and yeah. he's doing all this stuff. But then at the reveal of everything, no, it does almost make more sense that he's almost using them as bait yeah. to try to see if he can draw who the killer is and everything like that. But 
you know, leading up to that, that's just weird. Yeah, it's a hundred percent. Like this is once again to just stress, like Paul is a kind of like an adjacent hero in this movie. But yeah, he is 100%. He is following them because he gets the feeling. As soon as he sees them and he knows they're on a cycling holiday, and you've got to think, if he's vacationing down there for a couple of weeks every year, how many women is he following along this route? Right. You know, he's, he must be constantly following women across this route. Even to the point that the when he makes his stop for lunch, the guy that comes out seems to recognise him. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is not the first time he's made this pit stop. But yeah, he's 100% setting up Jane as, uh, you know, as bait. Yeah, he's, he's wanting to see if he can entice the killer out. And guess what? He does. Um, and his lack of, like, trying to take her to this junkyard, like you say, really why he's trying to take her there is because he's found... Kathy's bike right. there that's why he wants her there it just so happens the body is also there and he didn't know I, I really actually one of the things I love about the movie is what one that the kind of set up in the reveal of the body is in a closet yep. uh, which is the classic it's a, you know that is a, <laughs> a staple classic of horror cinema like the body falls in the closet when you go in the closet you can see the body you know what I mean you should be able to, a body just doesn't fall <laughs> like when you sit, like when you're sitting there not making a noise, that's not the cue, a visual cue in the closet for a, a body to fall from the shadows. It just never fucking happens. But I love it regardless. But what I also really like about this one is like Jane's reaction to the body is spot on. You know what I mean? Like I I don't yep. know how many times I see a horror movie where someone finds their friend dead. And within about 30 seconds, they're over it. <laughs> like, like they're, you know, they're up, they're, you know, the survival mode kicks and all the rest. Like, Jane is visibly ill. She throws up behind the door, she stumbles outside, she's in shock and panic. And even though she can see Paul, the, the flight instinct to run away takes a bit of time to kick in. I think that's more true to form and authentic than you get in a lot of horror movies where people just seem to be able to handle dead bodies a lot. I don't know if it's because they're more common, uh, but just handle dead bodies in their stride. But, like, even Paul, like, by the time Paul actually is, you know, he's trying for Jenny's trying to find her, by the time he's like, I, you know, the reason I brought you here is because I found this bike. <clears throat> it seems so desperate. It's like what you were saying, why, do, why don't you just not open with that? There's a junkyard right. here. I think I found your friend's bike. Can we go and take a look at it? By that point, it sounds like anything he can say to lure her out of where she's hiding. So, of course, by the time he finally catches up to her, she picks up a big old rock and crushes <laughs> his head in with it. Well, we think she crushes his head in with it. Which brings us to the gendarme who comes in kind of later on. What was interesting about this watch is... Like I say, I couldn't remember who the killer was, but right. like I, as soon as she was talking about the gendarme and the woman who owns the store, it's kind of like, don't go and see him. And But she never goes into any details, and it's kind of this throwaway kind of, yeah, you don't want to do that. You know, just get out of here. Just don't do that. Um, at that point, it was like, oh, right, it, oh, it must be him. And then what I couldn't remember was, was it him or his crazy deaf dad? who likes to wear ladies' underwear as a hat and <coughs> stab boxes with bayonets, um, as you do in the French countryside. But yeah. like, I, I, like it came back to me about the gendarme, who 
is a great character in this one because right up to the very end, if you're not paying attention, this guy's the hero. He's just a, a slightly right. inept hero. And the first indication that you've got, like once she's brained Paul with a stone, the first indication you get that he's actually, you know, the 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 killer, a serial killer for for all intents and purposes, is the fact that he looks like he's comforting her by rubbing her back, and then his hands go down to her trousers and in her back pocket, and then you're like, oh shit, and then he full on tries to rape her, um, which is you know. And what, so well shot. This movie, incredibly well shot. You basically see feet struggling from behind one of the wrecked cars. And that's enough. We don't need to see any more than that. I know from the Sims that are happening and the moving of the feet that something bad is happening and I don't need to see any more of that. Right. But, you know, obviously uh, Paul arrives in the nick of time to save her. Uh, probably to do a little I told you so because he's a guy and that's what we do. Um... And yeah, so the, the movie kind of ends there. Um, as a villain, the gendarme is, is kind of great because he's played the exact opposite of Paul, but he's still not a he's still not like a, a super helpful character, if you know what I mean. Right. Because you're you're acutely aware of that from watching horror movies that the guy who's like a bit too nice or a bit too sensitive or a bit too caring is more likely the killer. Um, the gendarme's kind of, he comes across as quite clueless. Um, and I think that's what maybe aids him in terms of flying under the radar as being the killer. Uh, what, what did you think of the like the kind of conclusion of this movie? Do you think it, it kind of lives up to, because like you said before, it's all kind of predicated on dread and atmosphere up to the end. Do you think the payoff's worth it um i do and i mean having it be you know like this you know local law enforcement type thing is i mean that's a person you go to for help so having that be the reveal is terrifying because i mean that just doubles down on the fact that she couldn't communicate with anybody so she doesn't know who to trust yeah and i mean even what you were talking about there the subtle reveal that it's him with his hand just creeping down is just great because i mean how they are subtle with a lot of things and it's more shocking to us is yeah. just wonderful that you're like, oh, we don't need to see him, you know, do this or that. It's just seeing his hand creep down that you're like, oh God, she literally just attacked the person that could help her here. And now she's in the arms of the person who has done this at least one other time. And I mean, I'm with you. It's probably been doing this much longer than that. Oh yeah. Like the, the, the I'm one of these guys that whenever I see like uh, a junkyard I'm like oh right these are all these are all victims you know like cars of victims bikes of victims um, and like you say because he's in a position of authority you imagine that people come to him for help if there's someone stranded he goes out there if it's an opportunistic moment he probably acts on it um, I think it's I think it's kind of awesome how that that's all brought together and very much like yourself I love the payoff to this I don't think I think by today's standards it's a fairly rudimentary and pedestrian story it's been done a lot more than this interestingly enough yep. um, it showed primarily on in, in the UK on TV um, just after the watershed because there isn't anything really in this movie to be censored if you know right. what I mean um, yeah. it's not bloody you don't really see anything particularly graphic and the majority of the movie is trying to solve the mystery of what happened to her friend so they get away with a lot and the closest they get to being graphic isn't with the killer per se 
it's with the bludgeoning of the you know the of Paul essentially with yep. the stone as the closest you get to it, Paul's not the killer so it's 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 very smart how they do it I think another thing that really aids this movie is its runtime yes this yep. is it's not I mean it's not as short as you would expect for what we've described um, it's an hour and thirty five an hour and forty somewhere in yeah. between then but. Um, it, you know the majority of this movie you mentioned it earlier the majority of this movie is her you know interactions with other people which if anything should be counterproductive to the you know the the, the dread terror or atmosphere of the movie and because they get that right that's the driving force of the movie the driving force of the movie is her being a fish out of water and not being able to know one who to trust and two trying to work out what happened to her friend whilst at the same time being drip-fed information about the fact that someone has died in this town before a couple of years ago under what looks like very similar circumstances? So, mm-hmm. in a lot of respects, it gives me even more... You know, it, it makes me want to give uh, Robert Fust more props in this one because, it, like, if a movie like this happens nowadays... Um, there would have to be at the end of every 10 or 15 minutes it'd have to be something she'd have to yeah. like almost discover the killer who would like run away like hee you know out, like, out <laughs> the room or something because that's just what audiences are conditioned to do but there's that kind of confidence in 70s cinema that you know they've paid for their ticket where else are they going to go they don't have iPads they don't have iPhones they're not on <laughs> Facebook that you know if you pay for your ticket you come and you watch a movie you watch it to its end so the audience is there they want to see this so we can we can take our time and explain the plot like even the very small interactions we get between Kathy and Jane because Kathy disappears what within the first 20 minutes of this movie she's gone um, they feel like friends their interactions feel incredibly friendly they feel down to earth Um, so all that stuff kind of weirdly works to its its benefit it's kind of laboured pacing is the the reason it has atmosphere Um, the casting being the way it is where there's no like huge name from the era who was like a former Bond girl or something like that. You don't have any of them in here, so like they feel relatively down to earth. You know, they're they're trade. Pamela Franklin and Michelle Dutrice, both like that they were actresses from the stage who were going to do stage work. So, you know, you've got good actresses labouring that down, and then everything else just kind of fits into place. It's you know, and like on a lot of levels, a movie like this probably shouldn't stand up to twenty twenty two scrutiny. And I'm going to agree with you. Watching this one, I was like, this is really, really, really well done. I mean, it's been done a hundred times since. But yeah. for the for the time period, like, I can still sit here and completely appreciate the craft of something that was a weird little trendsetter at the time. So, uh, do you have any final words or thoughts on And Soon the Darkness? Um, really, the only thing I was going to bring up with, when you're talking about how a lot of this is like, a, you know, obviously like a slow burn type thing is yeah. with her is going back and forth. And I think also it kind of builds the tension there that I was thinking about is just her frustration because of the slow drip of information that she keeps getting is that she's bouncing around between these like three locations and is getting nowhere. Yeah. So, I mean, for us, we're getting frustrated because yes. like, well, yes. where is she? Like how, like, where could she go? If like nobody saw her go this way and there hasn't been that many people going this way, like what happened here? Like, 
I mean, did she go like, you know, off road and just going straight across the thing? Because I mean, that's really the only other logical thing outside of the fact that we know somebody has taken her. Mm -hmm. So I think that is really kind of an interesting thing that they can do with a movie like this. And I mean, I was the first time I watched it, my DVD doesn't have subtitles either. And I watch everything with subtitles. So I remember being like, is my DVD like, is there something wrong with it? <laughs> is like, like, am I supposed to be understanding these? And this is going on. I'm like, oh no, we're supposed to be the characters too. Or we yeah. have, unless you speak French, yeah. you have no idea what they're saying to her. Yeah. And I love that element about it because it puts you at ground yeah. level. I think that's the, the way it should be. The, the only other thing I was going to mention is it's a technique that's used loads now, but like for the longest time wasn't. And I imagine if you are not used to it, it can come across as slightly off-putting, is the score to this movie. Mm-hmm. Like the central theme is very like, you know, like it's all happy. And then when the movie finishes, you're like, what the fuck? Like, well, why are we so cheery? Her friend has been murdered and she found the body. She will never leave her country again. She'll live in a small English cottage for all time. Um, but right. that's like, I was thinking, it's a modern. Well, there's a lot of movies that do that nowadays. I can think of uh, Honeydew was a movie that I saw recently, but a movie like yep. Piercing, for example. Movies that kind of have that that aim to have that kind of retro credit feel, where the theme to the mu- you know, to the, the the movie itself is something almost juxtaposed against the morbidity of the movie itself, and that what you get is something very upbeat and up tempo against the kind of laboured slow descent that you get in the movie. It's just one of those things where I saw it and I was like, that. it made me smile and chuckle because like I say, there's a lot of directors doing it nowadays. But like, you wouldn't go out and buy like on vinyl the and soon the darkness soundtrack. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's, it's not something you would do. So I, I love that aspect as well. I think it's safe to say, David, that we are 100% recommending this movie to the, the listeners of Chronicle out there. Um... I thought this was great. I, I, I'm overjoyed that you picked it because it's one of those movies I almost forgot existed. Mm-hmm. Being, even though I bought it, I, like, I bought it on Blu-ray as soon as, you, as soon as you mentioned the title. I was like, all right, I'm going to buy it. But I had it in my head. I don't know what movie I thought it was. There's a, there's a kind of rip-off um, of Straw Dogs that Udo Kier's in, <laughs> which, <Okay>. is on, <laughs> which is on the nasties list that I thought I was getting muddled up with this, and I don't know why. Okay. I, don't, I genuinely don't know why that is. Probably just faulty wiring in my brain. But that's what I thought I was watching, and then within the first, what, three, four minutes of playing this, I was like, oh, no, I have seen this movie, right? This is not the movie that I thought it was, and then I got kind of giddy and excited. So I don't know if I would have ever seen this movie again had you not uh, suggested it. I'm very, very glad that you did um you have a podcast that i mentioned but you also write some written reviews as well uh pimp your wares my friend where can people check out your stuff all right perfect um yep i do my blog is a uh, horror review and that's found at horrorreview.webnode.com and that is kind of what got me started on doing this whole type of reviewing type thing is i was a film studies major in college. So I had a professor that kind of gave us this like template and kind of gave me the idea to do this. And then my buddy and I back in the day were originally gonna do our own website when 
So I started like stockpiling reviews and I just decided to kind of do my own thing. And I mean, I've been probably doing that close to a decade now, I think kind of writing reviews and everything like that. And I mean, a lot of times it actually helps me in kind of this, what you were talking about earlier is sometimes I've seen a movie and then I won't watch it for 10 years. (laughs) Have I ever seen this? So then I can go back to my review and be like, okay, yep. I, I know exactly what this is now. Um, and then other than that is journey with a cinephile is my podcast and that should be found anywhere that podcasts can be listened to phenomenal david i cannot thank you enough for one picking this movie but two also like bringing it across as the first official guest of chronicle you have delivered the goods and set that bar scarily high for anyone else coming in here so that's right future guests just remember when you're about to pick that really 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 shitty italian movie you know the one you're looking at it right now on your shelf going finally a chance to talk about this movie just remember david brought ants in the darkness and you you now have a benchmark to try and impress me um with that in mind though i'm going to take my final break of this episode when we return i'm closing out Episode number two of season four of Chronicle right after this. And you've been listening to Chronicle season number four, episode number two. A massive thank you to my very first guest host joining me on this season four, David Garrett Jr. And his pick and soon the darkness from 1970 please go and check out that movie it is surprisingly ahead of its time and just generally unnerving it taps into that that primal fear that we all have of being someplace that we're unsure of unfamiliar with and the inability to communicate with other people around and the suspicion that grows within this is a season that will be running for the entire year with a different guest host joining me every single month. So there is so much opportunity, so much room, space and scope to get involved with movies that I have seen, ones that I've not seen in a very long time and other ones that I've just never seen before. We're at the whim of the guest host joining me on Chronicle Season 4, which means that things are going to get weird and hopefully very fast. Now, Chronicle is part of the Teapots Collective, and I'm usually not great at pimping the other shows that I do on this sister feed. If you've never checked out my main show, Podcast Under the Stairs, it exists wherever you listen to fine podcasts. But on this feed, the feed that you're listening to this episode on, there are other shows worthy of your time. There is where to begin with, a show that every year I pick a theme and lay out 10 movies that I think you should watch. And the beauty of that particular series is you guys get to watch the movies, interact by sending in your reviews as well. Season number three is looking at film noir and neo-noir. So a perfect time to get in on the ground floor of that. It's coming real soon. Within the next couple of weeks, you'll have your first movie assignment. Doing the Nasty is another show that I do. Doing the Nasty looks exclusively at the video nasties. We are doing the tier three movie list at the moment. We're about halfway through it, so plenty of stuff to get your teeth sunk into. Myself and Mark Ball every month looking at another two movies from that list. And then finally, you can check out Opera Omnia, which every single month 
does an episode with the resident guest host. Now, each season has one guest host, and we look at an, a filmmaker's filmography. So, yeah, we're just finishing season three on David Fincher, but there is a brand new season coming your way in mere months, and you will not want to miss it. Trust me on that. Thank you very much for sticking around. Thank you very much for all your love and support to Chronicle Podcast. It feels great to be back doing this. And we will be back with you very, very, very soon with more content, more movie discussions, and more chances to go down the deep, dark rabbit hole. You've been listening to Chronicle Podcast, an almanac of old world horrors. Until the next time, goodbye. Ignition. T-minus 10. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, zero, lift off.